Great to be with you today. My name is Gary Weber. I'm the pastor here at Southside, and uh, we are just thrilled to be in the second week of a new series that we started last week called 30 Words. And if you missed last week, you can uh, go to our website, ssbc.org, or our app, SSBC Jack's app, and you can connect with us and uh, catch up And on our digital campus there. We'd love for you to do that. We have people joining us online even this morning, and we're so glad whether you're joining us here in person or online We're thrilled for you to be a part of this conversation. And this conversation really is about how do we know the gospel? If you're in church much, you hear that idea all the time, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. It becomes almost a buzzword and maybe even has lost or maybe it never even had meaning for you. So we want to understand what what do we mean when we say the gospel? But we want to do more than that. We want to also understand how do we live it? That it's not just something that we learn and move on from, as in we learn the ABCs and we don't sing that song every day, but yet the ABCs are part of your life every day. (laughs) They help you form words and communicate. So, So we want to understand the gospel in such a way that it continues to inform the way we live. And finally, we want to understand how do we give it away? How do we give it away? Not weaponize it in a way that maybe we see caricatured in media today, but how do we lovingly share this idea of good news? And that's really what the word gospel means. In its basic translation, it means good news. And so we want to understand what is this good news, and if it is that good, shouldn't we uh, be interested in sharing it with other people? So we introduced this idea to you last week called 30 Words, and it's basically a creed, if you will, uh, a simple statement that helps us to understand what we're talking about when we talk about the gospel. And so we're going to put it up on the screen, and we're going to talk about the three different parts of it. It should be in your bulletin as well. Uh, you can look in there and, uh, and follow along if you're a note taker. Uh, but it has three parts. It has the ground of the gospel. We're going to look at that today. And then there are four gifts of the gospel. We're going to look at that for the next four weeks, and then we're going to conclude with the goal of the gospel. And so here's the 30 words. If you, uh, if you have the paper, you can fill them out with us. The 30 words are this, Jesus is God with us. That's what we're going to talk about today. That is the ground of the gospel. That's where it begins. Jesus is God with us. Come to, and these are the gifts of the gospel, show us God's love, save us from sin, set up God's kingdom, and shut down religion so that we can reach the goal of the gospel, which is so that we can share in God's life. So the 30 words are just this. Jesus is God with us, come to show us God's love, save us from sin, set up religion, shut down religion, set up God's kingdom, shut down religion, so that we can share in God's life. Now, I want to show you a picture um, that is of a bus in England. The Atheist Society uh, entered into a major outreach campaign. Uh, It was dominant in in the European countries, but it was in the United States as well. And I I find it interesting when atheists feel like they need to be evangelistic. I just... I, (laughs) I... I I know that sounds funny to say, but I sincerely, like, I want to have a good, honest conversation with an atheist about about the evangelistic efforts that they have to share the good news of atheism. But but look at this statement about, uh, that they put on buses that were all throughout England. And this is an actual picture of a bus in England. There's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. 
Now, we could spend the whole message taking this apart. We're not going to, but let me use this as kind of a, a launching pad for where I want to go today because I think in this, in this picture, we, we see a couple things that I want to point out. The, the first word is the word probably. Okay. <laughs> probably. Now, apparently, there was a lot of debate among the atheists who were entering in, into this uh, ad campaign, they thought that maybe the word there's definitely, um, there's probably not, or there, there may not be. I mean, they, they went through all kinds of words. They settled, they agreed on the word probably, which tells you a lot. It tells you a lot. They are hedging their bets. But now, let's go on from there, because that's not really what, what I think I want to take from this. It's the next line. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Now, now here's what that implies. It implies that there is a God, if there is a God out there, and if you believe in him, you are assuming that he is out to get you and that he wants to keep you from enjoying your life. That's the idea. There's probably no God, and because there's no God, you can stop worrying and enjoy your life. Because if there were a God, you would need to worry about that. Now, before we become too critical of our atheist friends, I, I want to ask a, a really provocative question. Why do they believe that if there is a God, we should be worried and that he would seek to bring anything but joy into our lives? Is it possible, is it possible that they have been bought into a myth about a God that doesn't exist? Is it possible that the idea of God that they have isn't the God that we read about in the Bible, but is rather a caricature of a God that they think doesn't exist? And so what I want to talk about today is, is, that, is the reality that for many people in our world today, the fear of death, which is universal, there's a universal fear of death. In fact, the only thing I've heard that people are more afraid of than death is public speaking. So I don't know what that says about people who do what I do. But, <laughs> but the fear of death is universal. But here's what's true in our world today. People are finding the alternative to death, an easier alternative to death, is atheism than it is Christianity or religion. Why is that? Why would they think that it's just easier to be an atheist and, and convince myself that there probably is no God than to really consider the God of the Bible and the promises of Christianity. Why wouldn't they consider that? Some of you here today, that may be your story. And you have this idea in your mind of God, and you would almost rather not believe in God at all than to entertain the idea that the God that you fear exists may in fact exist. And here's what I think as Christians. We have to take responsibility. We are not to blame for this, but we have to take responsibility for the fact that it has been entrusted to us to share the good news, the good news of God's love. Because there is definitely a God, so you can stop worrying and enjoy your life. It's just the exact opposite of what they've chosen to believe rather than to believe in a God of fear, and a God of hate, and a God who is somehow out to get them. Maybe what we've done as Christians, and not all of us, and not every church, but maybe there have been some of us 
who have, rather than trying to communicate the good news, have tried to use fear tactics. Or maybe, even worse than that, we've reduced the gospel to a life insurance policy. And it makes no sense to believe it in the life here and now. So so what I want to do today is I want to talk about this ground of the gospel, that Jesus is God with us, that this is the foundation. And I want to share with you three reasons from the passage that Jessica read early earlier that the gospel, the good news should begin with Jesus Christ, okay? So if you're a note taker, you can follow along. This will all come from Colossians 1. Three reasons the good news must begin with Jesus. Now, hear hear me, Christians. If you're not a Christian today, okay, listen in, because and maybe you'll even amen me when I say this. Listen, if you're going to share the good news, the good news does not start with Donald Trump or the Democrats, all right? The good news doesn't start with politics. The good news doesn't start with an argument about creationism. The good news doesn't start with Jonah in the belly of a fish. The good news starts with Jesus. That is the beginning of the good news, okay? All right, so three reasons why the good news must begin with Jesus. The first one is this. Jesus is God with skin on. Now, there's a technical theological term for this, and it's called the incarnation. So if you want to write that down and impress somebody, they really won't care, but you'll feel better about yourself. The incarnation, God with skin on, that God took on flesh and came and lived among us. Listen to what Paul says in verse 15 and then in verse 19. He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So when we as Christians talk about Jesus, we're not talking about somebody other than God. Now if you're not a Christian today, this might be really confusing to you. Because it's not God plus Jesus plus the Holy Spirit. God is one. Manifests himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I've gone to school for a long time. I still can't fully explain it or understand it. But here's what I know. That God himself took on flesh and came and lived among us. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 1.3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being. Now, now think about this with me. What is the writer of Colossians and the writer of Hebrews saying? It is saying that if you want to know God, if you want to see what he looks like, if you want to understand who he is, you don't have to look any further than Jesus Christ. That he is the radiance of God's glory. Think about the sun, for example. You would not see the sun if it weren't producing light. You can't separate the light from the sun. The, the, the light that comes from the sun illuminates the sun and allows us to see the, the sun itself. But here's what is true. Jesus is like that. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the manifest presence of God himself in the world. He is the image of what is otherwise an invisible God. That God took on flesh and came and dwelled among us. In the book of Isaiah, a prophet 700 years before Jesus was born wrote about Uh, this Messiah who would come, and his name would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That Jesus wasn't just another baby who was born. It was God taking on flesh and coming to dwell among us. And and here's here's, here's what's really cool about this, is that this wasn't just physical. This isn't just a physical birth. As if, as if Jesus is with us and he was present with us physically. That is true, but it's bigger than that. It also has the idea that Jesus shows us that, that God is for us, that, that he is with us, meaning like I was 
I was with the Georgia Bulldogs when they lost yesterday. I was still with them. You get what I'm saying? Like I can be, I can be with my cousin who's going through a hard time in another state right now, even though I'm not physically with them. That, that Jesus is God in flesh come to be with us, for us. The incarnation, that Jesus is God entering into our circumstances. That he came and he endured all the temptations that we face. That he suffered, that, that he, he was rejected by friends. If you've ever been betrayed by a friend, Jesus knows what that feels like. That God put himself in our situation. Have, have people lied about you? God understands that. Because people lied about Jesus. Have people, have people betrayed you, rejected you? Have they done violence to you? Have you been physically abused? Jesus was physically abused. God has put himself in our circumstances. The incarnation means that God has come and taken on flesh and, and he's with us. The gospel writer John at the beginning says, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John 1, 14 John says this, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the, only, the glory of the only begotten Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. That word, only begotten, is monogenous. Mono meaning one, genus meaning of a type, that there is only one Jesus, there is only one person like him, fully God and fully man, that he came to be with us. In fact, the gospel writer goes on, John, in the rest of the book, he records more than 14 times that Jesus says he and the Father are one. And there's a story in John chapter 14. Um, you can read it later. I encourage you to do it. John chapter 14, in, in verse 8 and following, where uh, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And finally, one of the disciples, just out of sheer frustration, just finally says, okay, Jesus, we give up. Just show us the Father and that will be enough. Like, we don't understand half the parables you tell. We don't get it. You know, but will you, if you just show us the Father, that will be enough for, you, for us. And Jesus said, Jesus said to Philip, Philip, have you been with me this long and still you don't recognize me? I am God. I am God in human flesh. If you want to know what God looks like, look to Jesus. There is not a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. There is a God who has manifest himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you don't understand what God looks like or if you don't know the character or the nature of God, he has made himself known to you in the person of Jesus. Jesus is God with skin on. But the second reason why we have to begin the good news with Jesus is because Jesus has always been God's plan. Look at uh, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, I, I, I almost get the sense that Paul is struggling to even come up with enough words to tell you how important Jesus is. Like, he's, like you, don't, you don't get it. The air you're breathing, yeah, that's him. Yeah, the, the fact that you can walk outside in the sunshine today, that, that's him. The fact that you have, that's Jesus. He's everywhere. Nothing was created without him. He is before all things. Jesus was not God's plan B. 
Now, why is that so important? Because for some people, they have this idea or this thought that God is this clockmaker who just kind of wound things up and set it into motion. And then somehow we've messed it up and God was caught unaware of that. And somehow in the course of this, the whole thing is falling apart and it's ultimately going to degenerate. And God has somewhere along the line, maybe he had control, but he's completely lost control. That is not the story the Bible tells. The Bible tells us that Jesus was there from the beginning. In fact, if you've ever read Genesis and wondered why it says, let us make man in our image, it is because God has always eternally existed as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now let me take my best shot at trying to explain this to you, okay? We all like the idea, even if you're not a Christian today, we all like the idea and can embrace the idea that God is love, right? We're going to talk more about that next week. God is love. I mean, you can never go wrong with that. God is love. But let me ask you a question. If God has preexisted before anything else existed, how could God be love if there was nothing else to love? Not that God does love, but that God is love. How could God, whose essence is love, be love if there was nothing to love? And so this explains why God has eternally existed in perfect community with himself. Some of you introverts wish you could pull that off. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They have always existed and loved one another. And out of that love was birthed creation. Let us make man in our image. But before God breathed breath into Adam, he already knew what was going to happen. He already understood that if I am going to have a relationship with my creation then I am going to have to give my creation the free will to choose to love me back. And so God in the garden planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? To tempt man? No. To give man the choice. Because God understands and knows, if I don't have the choice not to love him, how can I ever say that I do love him? And sin, if you want to know the definition of sin, sin is just simply this, that we have chosen collectively and individually not to love God. And so, from the beginning, God knew that man would reject his offer of love. And he knew from the beginning, before he breathed into Adam, that that would require from him setting aside all the glories of heaven, taking on flesh, and coming to be as a servant, and to be obedient even to death on the cross. And so God himself has been the plan, Jesus has been the plan for God from the very beginning. In fact, Revelation says this, when, when Jesus comes into that picture that John is, is painting in the book of Revelation of what he saw in heaven, he says this, the lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. Think about that for a minute. It's not that Jesus was crucified before you were born and lived and sinned. <laughs> what he's saying is that he was destined to be crucified before anybody ever was born and lived and had the opportunity to sin because that's how much God loves you. That's good news. That God was making a way and a plan before you ever even had the opportunity to reject his love. Jesus was already doing the work to bring salvation to us. And and here's what we know. Instinctively inside of our hearts, we know that we need someone to save us 
Even, even the most independent, self-assured person in the room, there has been somewhere in, in the silence of your heart and mind at night when you're sleeping, there is some insecurity that just says, I am powerless to resolve this problem myself. I need help. I need somebody to rescue me. We all know that we need someone to rescue us. And here's what we also know. Whoever's going to rescue me has to be better than I am. Right? I mean, if I were good enough to rescue myself, I wouldn't need somebody else. And so because I instinctively know that I need a rescuer, I need someone to rescue me, I also know that that person has to be better than me. And so here's what we do, and here's probably what our atheist friends do. I'm going to use the word probably because they do, okay? <laughs> here's, here's what we do. We look to the government. Government will solve my problems. And, and if, the, if this form of government doesn't solve my problems, maybe another form of government will solve my problems. You know human culture has been trying that for thousands and thousands of years. And every time we think we've got the perfect form of government to solve the world's problems, uh, we only find that it doesn't solve our problems. Or we, we look to technology. That's our favorite today. Google, Facebook, somebody's going to come up with a solution to this. There's got to be an app for that somewhere. But, but here's, here's what's true. The, the, the more technology we have, it doesn't solve, it solve our problems. In fact, in many ways, it adds to our problems. Technology's not bad in and of itself. But technology can be used for good. It's also used for evil. And so we find technology doesn't solve our problems. Or we say, well, I'm just going to look within myself. But when we're honest with ourselves, we know. We know we're not good enough to save ourselves. And here's, here's, what, here's what we also know, I think. If there were a person that good, there's no way they could stay that good in this world. Okay, okay just indulge me for a minute. Politics. I, I don't, I'm not meaning this to be political, but I think this is the easiest example to see. Have you ever wondered why, when it comes to politics, it seems so hard to find that champion out there that everybody, no matter if you're left or right, conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, is looking for? And, and then have you ever thought to yourself, if there were such a person, they'd never run for office? And if they did run for office, they'd never win, right? I mean, come on. Maybe I'm more cynical than the rest of you. But I've had that thought, that if there were such a person that good, how in the world... How in the world could they come into the mess of this world that we've created? And how could they maintain that level of integrity, that level of goodness? How could they do it? Well, interesting. That is not a new thought. In fact, it's the very thought that inspired uh, the prophet Isaiah when he said this in, in Isaiah uh, chapter 53, verse 2 through 5. 700 years before Jesus. Listen to what Isaiah says about this Savior who would need to come. He said, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced, 
for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. Now, what Isaiah is saying is that when this perfect, holy, righteous, just, all-loving Messiah, Savior comes, the world is going to reject him. The world is going to hate him. The world is not going to be able to tolerate him because his very presence only reminds us of how we are not those things. And ultimately, the world will do to him, bring upon him the punishment that should rightfully be on the rest of us. And it is through his suffering, through his rejection, through his wounds, that we will ultimately be healed. Now, and before you think, okay, that's all in the Bible. That's just religious talk of religious people. Let me, let me give you a little background into uh, the philosopher Plato. Uh, he was alive and writing about 360 years before Jesus. And Plato had this idea of a just man, this image of a perfect person. And, and his idea of this just man, that if there was going to be somebody who could ever achieve human perfection, this is what would happen. Listen to Plato from the Republic, book two. Our just man must have the worst of reputations, even though he has done no wrong. So we shall be able to test his justice and see if it can stand up to unpopularity and all that goes with it. We shall give him an undeserved and lifelong reputation for wickedness and make him stick to his chosen course until death. The just man, then, as we have pictured him, will be scourged, tortured, and imprisoned. His eyes will be put out, and after enduring every humiliation, he will be crucified and learn at last that in the world as it is, we should want not to be, but to seem just. Isn't that amazing? That there, we understand and know we need this perfect Savior. And yet, the very reason we need this perfect Savior is the very thing that would bring about the destruction and the death of that perfect Savior. And so God himself said, I've got a plan from the beginning. He took on skin and came to dwell among us as his plan to bring about to us the justice, the peace, the hope that we all desperately know that we need. The third reason we have to begin with Jesus is this, that Jesus is evidence that God is for and not against us. Jesus is the evidence that God is for us, not against us. Look what Paul continues to say, verse 18 through 20 of Colossians 1. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have preeminence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, here it comes, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by his blood shed on the cross. That he came to reconcile you with God. That God became man, which was the plan from the beginning, to demonstrate to you and show you that God is for you, God is seeking you, God is looking for you. John 3, 16, everybody knows it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But John 3, 17 is equally important. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came in order to rescue us from the condition of the world in which we find ourselves, from the condition, quite honestly, that we have created ourselves, that I have created myself. He didn't just come to rescue me from your sin. He did that. But he also came to rescue me from my own. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 8, 31 through 32. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God is for you. Jesus is the evidence that that's true. Here's here's the problem. If we try to present the good news of a loving God, a merciful God, a forgiving God, without talking about Jesus, then my question is, how do you know that's true about God? Apart from Jesus, how do you know that God is merciful and forgiving? It's sure not by looking at nature, right? I mean, you look at nature, and it is just the survival of the fittest. It is just the bigger fish eats the smaller fish. How do we know that God can be forgiving unless we see Jesus? How do we know that God is loving unless we see Jesus? God became flesh so that we could see him and so that we could know that he is for us and not against us. Now, I want to I talk to, to everybody in the room today, whether you're a believer or not a believer. First, to those of you who call yourself Christians, you're, you're believers Let me ask you this question, and and this may seem like a silly question and maybe one you have to think about, but are you separating God? Are you trying to split God apart to fit categories that you've created in your mind? Do you perceive God the Father as wrathful and angry and somehow Jesus is the counterbalance to that, the loving, forgiving side of God? It's just bad thinking. Jesus is God. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. And if anything about your mind, if anything about your heart says God is something other than that, then then you need to reevaluate the way you perceive God. It's bad theology, and it will not serve you well when you're trying to tell other people the good news about Jesus. Let me ask you another question, believers. When you're talking to non-believers, are you listening to them first? Do do you do the very thing that God did for all of us and try to enter into their suffering? Do you try to understand their pain? Do you try to understand their perspective? Let me encourage you, Christians, this week to listen to people. it's, It's one of the reasons why, and we start with the atheist in the bus, but that's a great conversation to have with an atheist. I'm I'm not kidding when I say I want to have an honest conversation and understand what they mean by that because until we are willing to understand people until we're willing to listen to people we have no right to be heard by them and so do we listen let me give you a couple tips okay these are just some practical ideas if you're in conversations with people who aren't believers some interesting some things that you can say that will further the spiritual conversation when it comes up one of the things when they're talking about spiritual things whether you agree with it or not ask this question just say this that's really interesting Tell me how you came to believe that. That's really interesting. Tell me how you came to believe that. And I'm not giving you that as a gimmick. I'm giving you that to really listen to them. 
Where did that come from? It could have come from a childhood experience. It could have come from, uh, from something they saw on TV. A lot of people in our world get their theology from Oprah Winfrey. And I've got nothing against Oprah, but she's really not a great theologian. And so, so when you listen, interesting, tell me more about that. Where did you learn that? How did you come to believe that? And then your response, and, and this is one that, that is almost universally unoffensive, but, but your response comes, well, my faith teaches me this. My faith teaches me. That's the way you start a conversation. Because you've first been willing to listen to them and understand them, and then you can reciprocate by saying, well, here's what my faith teaches me, and enter into a serious conversation about what they believe. Now, for those of you who are in the room who are not believers, I just gave away our secrets. But that just means in a conversation with you, we can cut to the chase, right? We can just go right, talk about things that matter. Those things matter. Those things matter. God, God cares about what you think and how you believe. And we need, to, we, need to, we need to come to a conversation that demonstrates the love of God, the kindness of God that draws people toward repentance. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, let me, let me just ask you, why wouldn't you explore the ideas that I've talked about today, that Jesus is God. What if I'm right? I mean, what if I'm right? Now, I think I am, and I think I'm in a room full of people, most of whom think I'm right. But I'm just asking from your perspective, what if I'm right? I'm not asking you what other Christians or, or other religious people that you've heard have taught you about Jesus. Not what culture says about the church, but about Jesus himself. Do you understand him? Have you read his teachings? Have you read about his life yourself to form your own opinion? Read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Mark is the shortest. You can read it the fastest. John is the most interesting because he uses a lot of really interesting analogies. But read a gospel account for yourself. Form your own opinion. Listen, and you think to yourself, but I don't believe the Bible. That's okay. What else do you read that you believe everything that's in it? You don't believe everything on the internet, but you read it. You don't believe everything on your friend's Facebook feed, but you read their Facebook feed. You don't believe everything in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, but you read it anyway. So I'm just asking now, if you're not a believer and you're saying, but I don't believe the Bible, that's okay. You don't have to. I'm just saying, before you just pass by what could be the most revolutionary news you've ever heard, wouldn't you want to, for yourself, form your own opinion by reading it on your own? I double dog dare you to do it. (laughs) Engage in a conversation with a thoughtful Christian. And if you say, well, I don't know any thoughtful Christians... Call the church. I'll be glad to meet with you or or make an appointment for somebody. On the communication card today, there's a box that you can check. And you say, I want to talk to somebody about this. Have a conversation. Submit your questions about what I've said today uh, so that we can answer it Wednesday night in our midweek service. Be a part of Starting Point, which is, uh, we'll be starting again in January. We'll be starting a new group for Starting Point where you can ask questions about faith. I'm going to ask the band to come back up as we prepare to conclude our service and as they do I just want to ask you to do something everybody take out the communication card that you were given earlier the tear off section we're all going to turn that in anyway uh, because Ron and Lisa told us to but here's what I here's what I want you to do on your communication card this morning I, I just I just want to ask you if you would just just maybe for yourself 
uh, but certainly for us, to write down one of four letters, okay? Everybody's going to write a letter down. The first letter is A, I am ready to trust this Jesus that you've talked about. I am ready right now to trust this Jesus that you're talking about. B, I am willing to explore Jesus. A, I'm ready to trust him right now. B, I'm willing to explore the idea that Jesus is God with skin on. C, I'm not open to the idea that Jesus is God. That's okay. That's okay. You're welcome here, and I hope you'll keep coming. Or D, I've already placed my faith in Jesus. Now, my guess is for many of us, we're going to put a D down. There are a few of you who will put a C down. That's okay. I hope there are are more of you who will put a B down that says, I I want to explore this idea of who Jesus is. But for those of you who right now would write down A, I am ready to trust Jesus. Can I just tell you, he has been pursuing you from before the time you took your first breath. And there is no better time, no better time to receive God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and love than right here, right now. Will you stand as we pray? Then we're going to sing together that song, Living Hope, that the band introduced to us. And if you want to come down and pray, if you want to pray with me, pray with someone else, you're welcome to. If you want to stay right where you are, that's fine. When the offering plates come, you can stick that communication card in the plate as it comes by. But Father, we come to you now just so grateful that your love for us is so amazing that you would take on flesh and come to live among us. Father, that we can know that you are merciful and forgiving and just and righteous and loving. Not because we guess or speculate, but because we have seen it in Jesus Christ. There was a living example, a living hope that still lives today in our hearts and through your church. So Lord, today I pray for those who have been sitting on the fence about putting their trust squarely in Jesus Maybe they have been torn between the idea of a wrathful, vengeful God of the Old Testament. And and that fear may have even driven them closer to atheism than towards Christianity. But today, Lord, I, I pray for those who would just say, I want to explore that. That sounds like good news to me. Lord, would you would you give them not only the desire in this moment, but would you continue to pursue them all week as they begin to turn their attention to Jesus? And Lord, for those of us who know this to be true, who know this living hope, Lord, I pray that we might live it out more fully this week with more confidence and assurance of what you have done for us to meet the longing and the need of every human heart. God, we thank you for what you've done in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.